welcome to Paranormal Gateway Spirit Talk. As is Scott Wise, the tonight's special guest joining us is Alan Cornell. Alan grew up in Midwestern town in Iowa in a rural area of rolling hills of cornfields, creeks, and old barns. Alan grew up to be a very grounded individual believing facts as his parents and grandparents seeing anything other than factual truth as simply being nonsense. Alan became interested in the paranormal in the 1980s when a tragic accident event occurred in his life, leading him down his own path the paranormal phenomenon. It was 2017 after investigating the location called the Stage Coast Inn, located in Idle Grove, Iowa, that Alan was encouraged by a gentleman by the name of Daniel Class to write a book of his encounters. To date, he has written three books in total. His first book was Ghost and the Legends of the Stage Coast Inn, that is now out of print. Describes the first seven years investigating what he refers to now as that place. Later, Alan rewrote the book, its realized title, In Too Deep, that wrote by a curious elder, he wrote a third book called In Conflict. Alan has investigated the paranormal spending four decades and still refers to Stage Coast Inn as being the most haunted location in the Midwest. Alan now lives in Ankeny, Iowa, with the wife Pam, two cats, Abby and Ozzy working part-time at Ace Hardware Store. Without further ado, let's welcome Alan to the show. Alan, how are you, Stephen? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. I appreciate sure, it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I, guess. I was telling you a little while ago, I got a while back, but I read them this weekend today. They're, they're great. They're great books. So, I mean, uh, yeah. That's crazy that she could read both those in, in such a short period of time. Well, uh, the I'm, first I'm, book, people yeah, have pretty, been known to I, have them read it yeah. in less than. I, I'm a pretty quick reader, so. <laughs> yeah, you must be a quick read. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, well, the first book in too deep, which I I got a copy of it right here. It's just, it's just a hardback cover Mm -hmm. uh, in too deep. Um, it's, it's much shorter than, uh, the, the book in conflict, which Mm -hmm. I have here. It's like 94,000 words. So it it impresses me that you read that in in a weekend. That's, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I I love love reading paranormal books and stuff. Once they get once they get into it, I can't put it down, you know. So that's how we lost stuff I read. That's that's good. I know you I in your intro, um I heard you talking about uh this book, uh Ghosts and Legends of the State mm-hmm. Coach Inn. Um there's a little bit of a story behind this. This is the original book. Um uh, Daniel Class, mm-hmm. who most of you know that owns Hinsdale House. Yeah. Uh, he's the one that talked me into um, getting in touch with the the uh, publisher. Um, he convinced me that I should call this guy, and I said, I'd never written a book in my life. And he said, don't worry about it, Alan. He said, uh, uh, his name's Eric, and he's a ghost writer. And what he'll 
do is he'll listen to your story and he'll make a book out of it. And I thought, well, that's really simple. I can do uh internet connection is really poor. Yeah, it, it still has potty. <laughs> so uh uh I and he had about halfway through he says you're gonna have to that that you have well you're getting a really ter terrible connection here tonight um yeah i'm, I'm here so here. anyway long story short <laughs> uh i found out that my 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 publisher um i found out my publisher uh was uh the minister of the church of satan wow. believe it or not and you know here i am i'm a paranormal investigator and i'm writing and i'm writing a book about the paranormal the last thing i needed was my publisher to be the minister of the church of satan and of course there were some other things going on that he wasn't being truthful with me about so um i dropped him um so i got a kind of an end with this book um, not only did i investigate hell but my publisher was a disciple of satan so uh i went on and i got a hold of another publishing company and i didn't like the way the first book really came out the way it sounded I didn't like the title i didn't like the title there was some stuff i wanted to kind of add to it a little bit and that's when i came up with in too deep um because i was i was in way too deep i was in over my head um i thought i knew everything about the paranormal everything that could be related to the paranormal i didn't think it was nothing until i entered this place called the stagecoach inn and it humbled me it humbled me down to the ground and uh i now know that i know enough to know that i don't know enough about the paranormal and it took my adventures of seven years of investigating the stagecoach inn to make me recognize that this is can this can be a very dark field and that it can destroy your life and turn it upside down in in a matter of days in some cases in my case it, seven years of constant torment in investigating that that beautifully horrible place and i call it beautifully because it is it, it's, it's a beautiful wonderful place it's a historical landmark for ida county a um, lot of rich history but you don't want to poke it with that paranormal stick all right yeah, I've been the stuff that happened in there, and I'm like thinking the same thing he did in there. Why the hell he got earlier? <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, um, I, I ask my co that that question to my all the time. You know, why did why didn't I leave? And 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 that's what in conflicts about. You know, um, when I wrote that, I. I I didn't want to go back. I was I was convinced by another individual, or they tried to convince me to go back and do one more investigation. And I felt as if I failed myself in being a paranormal investigator. Um, I, I I failed miserably at being a paranormal investigator. I should have got the information I thought I needed, and got and then got out. But instead, I let that place get into my head. And it did. It thoroughly got in my head. You've read the book. You you read um, in too deep, and you probably read some of the terrifying things that happened to me personally. I mean, yes. it was hell. It wasn't like when I went in there and investigated that terrible things happened to me immediately. It was nothing like that. It was nothing that jumped out at me and and you know scratched me and and burned me and did all these kind of things that happen on investigations. 
it was a slow it, it i was slowly bleeding out bleeding out and it was and it was all due to the stagecoach in and it was due to my ignorance in what the paranormal can actually do to somebody if you're not aware of of what you're dealing with and when you and and some people might disagree with me but when you lose contact and you lose your sight of god do places like the stagecoach in affect you um that's kind of how i feel about it wow um can you describe like uh the first experience you had that made you want to get back like in your first into deep the first experience you had in there that you knew that that place was as hard as it was I'm I'm really having a hard time do you what picking you okay. up you're you're really I'm, I'm having a difficult time and understanding what you're saying you're, you're, the here's here is really 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 bad I mean, okay let me uh let me i'm gonna try refreshing refreshing what See about a better. I'm now. I'm have to. Okay, give give me a minute here. Yeah, I don't have. If I do have these problems, I know what's wrong with my spirit, man. Hold on a second. Yeah, the internet connect. I've got good. I got good connection at my end. I don't know where it's it's coming from, but uh, this I'm I'm only picking up part of what you're saying. Say better. I don't know if it's going here. Um, maybe if you, say a few lines, and maybe I can hear you. You were it. It was you were real intermittent in uh, in your audio as well as your video. Yeah, that's what it was too. With you, is it better now? Now I don't know if it's No, not any better. I at the restart somebody's man i've never had this problem before um all right through uh what good man
Ja, schütze doch mal. Is that any better? Uh, ask me a question and I'll be able to tell you. <laughs> uh, before I couldn't make out anything you were saying at all. It was real intermittent, uh, real broken in the audio. Okay, I think it's better now. Yeah, it sounds like it's better. Okay, I unplug the router and plug it back in. Okay. Right. So, what would you like to repeat? Their <laughs> <laughs> uh, first, when uh, down for their first fascination, what happened that night that you said that? Wow, this is haunted. That the was haunted in the Midwest. Yeah. The first investigation, the first night that I was at the Stagecoach Inn, is that what you're asking? Um, yes. I was. I actually investigated there for three nights in a row. Um, the the way the story lays out is I was um, I was on a little tour of the park. My uh, uh, wife's uh, nephew, he knew that I was a big deer hunter. I loved it. I loved to hunt, and I had been in Ida Grove, Iowa, for about a year. Um, we went there to take care of my wife's mother. We didn't think we can be there for very long, you know, maybe six months tops. You know, she was in pretty bad health. Uh -huh. And so I quit my job, moved up there. Anyway, it's what we thought would be like six weeks turned into a year. Well, one day, Andy, uh, her brother her, her nephew, um, shows up at the house and he says, Hey man, let me take you out and show you Moorhead park. That's where everybody likes to go deer hunting. And I said, sure, you know, uh, I went along and, and while we were driving through the park, I noticed this old building, this old structure that was kind of tucked away in the woods. And I asked Andy about it. I said, you know, what's, is, does somebody live here in the, in the park? And he said, no, no, no. He said, that's, that's the old stagecoach inn. It's the Moorhead House Museum. Well, after our, our little trip, um, I asked Andy, you know, who I'd notify um, to maybe get a tour of this museum. And he gave me a name um, and I was aware of this name. I knew who this person was. He was a part of the American Legion, which I had joined while I was there. But I never knew that he was the president of the Historical Society. And so I reached out to this gentleman. His name was Steve. And he was happy to give me uh, a tour through the end. And upon that tour, he, he, he brought a lot of interesting things to my attention. Um, one was the Native American burial tree that's like 40 foot off the front door, right out, right out the door, uh, about 40 foot away from the, from the front door of the inn. And as we went through the inn, he showed me all these other little items like the shoes that they found tucked in the walls and the coins that they found in the walls and and, and, and food that was placed in the walls and dresses that were hung up neatly in the walls. And uh -huh. all of these things were setting off all kinds of bells in my head. Uh, if, if you know anything about the history of putting shoes in walls, it was to ward off evil. Um, they did that many, many, many years ago. Uh, they felt that the shoe help, held the, sh the shape of the wearer's foot, his sole or his imprint. And that would help keep evil out. And it was usually put in like weak areas, like around windows and chimneys and doorways. It, it and, and it, it's still kind of around today in the same manner. You know, you see somebody that puts the, the horseshoe over their front door. Mm -hmm. it, that's kind of a spinoff of doing, you know, the shoes in the walls. 
Well, um, I was so intrigued by all this that I appealed to the Historical Society at one of their meetings. Um, I had prepared a little uh, a little speech. I, I was going to go in and tell them I was a paranormal researcher and that I would like to at least investigate the end and see the possibility of uh, some kind of paranormal activity there. And it met with a little bit of uh, friction, I guess be the best word to use. Mm-hmm. Um, part of the community thought, yeah, it'd be a great idea. And another part, eh, they weren't so sure. And so when they were getting ready to vote, um, one lady by the name of Connolly, she uh, she was up and she was up there in her age. She was in her upper eighties anyway. Um, she said, "Why are we allowing this to happen? Why are we letting this individual stir things up all over again?" Her exact words were, "Conjure, conjure mm-hmm. things up all mm-hmm. over again." And of course, that intrigued me. Um, but I didn't dare, you know, ask the question, "What does that mean?" You know, I knew I was kind of on thin ice, and I, I didn't really want to pursue it. So anyway, by a show of hands, uh, I was able to get in there, but only for three nights. And to be honest with everybody, those first two nights was just dead air. Uh, nothing was going on. I, oh, it wow. was, it was just, it was almost an unsettling silence. And I had developed a lot of techniques in order to try to promote or provoke some kind of activity. Um, nothing happened. Um, I didn't have a lot of equipment. Um, a lot of my equipment I, I sold when I moved to Ida Grove, I didn't think I'd be using it anymore. And we kind of just needed to make, you know, we were living in, in, in her mother's house. So uh, a lot of our own possessions, I just, we just left them behind. I sold that stuff. So I think I had a ghost meter and I had a, uh, a digital recorder and mm-hmm. I had a VCR <laughs> that, um, was able to record through a camera and I, I just had an old security camera that I used on a tripod. And, uh, so I was, I used it. If I was going to catch any evidence, I would, I at least have one camera and that one camera had audio and it was on a cassette tape. It was for eight hours, eight hours VCR tape. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until the third night, um, that I was just, I was ready to just call up, you know, it was no good. There was nothing going on. Um, I, in fact, looked at the camera and stated pretty much the house was flat. I had the ghost meter in my hand and it hadn't even moved. It hadn't made a sound. And if you've seen those ghost meters, they flash and they beep. So they're a really good indicator. They're, they're really inexpensive piece of equipment, but they work pretty well. And the entire time I was there, it never went off one time. Um, I should add that that whole area is, is poor, really, really poor with cell phone reception. So it wasn't even picking up any kind of interference from cell phone reception, nothing, just dead. And I made that comment that the house was essentially flat. I spoke directly to the camera and within, I think about 10 seconds after saying that, it felt as if something tugged hard and very deliberately on the bottom seam of my coat. Um, it startled me. Um, I had no idea what it was. I thought that maybe I'd backed into something. It was pitch black in that room that I was in. And I, I turned around. I kind of shined the flashlight in all directions to see if there was something I'd brushed into. 
and there was nothing there. It was, I was, I was several feet away from anything. Um, that in itself was disturbing. Um, I try to gather my thoughts. And uh, as I said in my book, I, I kind of just, I moved from one room to another, but in all actuality, I moved pretty quickly from one room to another. Mm -hmm. And I sat down in a chair that was in an adjacent room called the men's room. And I sat over in a corner and that corner was next to a window that um, looked out like to the West where there was one of those big barn or outside, I call them the old barn lights, you know, mm -hmm. on a post. And it was shining through the window just good enough that I could make out silhouettes of things in that room that I was sitting in. So I, I, I felt pretty safe and I was trying to rationalize what had happened. You know, I, I've always had a personal rule, you know, to work past the shock and the awe and think about stuff, you know, think about what you were doing at that very moment that could have caused this very unique um, uh, experience to happen. And as I'm sitting there and in another adjacent room and, and think about the, all these rooms are kind of connected to each other by doorways. And in another adjacent room, which is the kitchen area, I could hear China, the plates and cups clicking and tinking together wow. in that room. And it was if it was as if there was something or somebody that was making a meal in there. And then it would stop. It subsided. And then it started rustling around some more. In fact, it sounded like it was approaching in my direction. And in my haste of leaving the other room, I left my flashlight behind. So I couldn't see anything. <laughs> oh, my. Uh, so I thought, you know what? I've had enough of this. This this is more than what I ever expected. Um, I'm out in the woods away from everyone. I mean, the only people that knew I was there was the Ida County Sheriff's Office. They knew I was there, but I was pretty much alone. And I thought, I'm going to get out of here. I don't know if there's somebody that's in this house. You know, I, I didn't know. And But I finally made my way out. And that was that was probably one of the most unnerving events that happened to me in, in those first three days. And I always found it kind of odd that it happened on three on the third night. Um, but, uh, the, the following day I went over that video. I, I could see myself spinning around. I heard myself say, you know, the house was just flat and you could hear me just gulp air. I just, something startled me. And I, I tried to see if I could, if my coat was being actually tugged on, but you know, you're, we're talking a security camera, not the greatest, you know, video that you can get. Right. And I just couldn't see anything. And I remembered that I had a digital recorder running and it was sitting on a chair just adjacent to it was sitting on a chair next to what would be the men's room where i walked into i had a digital recorder sitting on a chair in that same room that i was in and i listened to it and i got to the spot where i said is there someone in this room with me and it's so very clear in fact if you go to the dark river page you can find that uh that video um and it's 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 very clear of what sounds like a child probably around maybe between five and, and seven years old, say, uh-huh, yeah, it was me. <laughs> Clear as a bell. Uh, that's, that's a great catch. 
so it was it was at that point that I was hooked and and I was on that journey into the stagecoach in. Yeah. But what's your I I've, I've been investing in paranormal with a group. I first saw it from nineteen ninety and I had the VCRs too to to do it and eight channel the the cameras you had. And right, yeah, it, yeah. I don't need a VCR pay- anymore. No, not anymore. I think this like ten years ago. Um, yeah, but um, probably ten years ago. But anyway, still it's VCRs to do evidence reviews sucked. <laughs> yeah, the, you know they, the VCRs. You know, especially on the security cameras. You know, the first generation IR security cameras back. You know, mm-hmm. even you know, well, hell. Uh, in, in 2012, 2013, weren't the highest quality IR you could get. Oh. And, of course, I was trying to use just the onboard IR lights on the camera itself, so the room wasn't really super lit. And so, but eventually I graduated to a, a better camera, um, and since that time I've, I've even upgraded even more. For instance, the camera that you're seeing me on okay. today, is a Canon FX two hundred five. Um, it's the same camera that you you would see on some of the you know your 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 programs on on television. I can broadcast with it. It shoots in what we call it's it's military grade IR. Um, it's it's a wonderful camera. So I've I've upgraded since that that time to to get some pretty good footage. Yeah. Well, we we broke down and got a a channel DVR. Yeah, eventually, and we run the wires all over the place, and I got yeah. I got two of them back in the closet because I can dust. <laughs> yeah, I I just I got tired of picking up uh, wires at five o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So, so now I, I actually have two of these cameras, and uh, one I will carry with me at all times, and then another one I'll I'll just set it on a tripod, leave it set in a room for a couple hours, and I move them. Um, I, I don't do the VCR thing anymore. Of course, it's just uh, me by myself. I, I don't have really a team per se. Uh, I just call myself Dark River, which I, I should mention, it used to be called Dark River Paranormal Investigations. And I, I've just simply just changed it to Dark River. Uh, mm-hmm. Most people know me as, as being a paranormal investigator. And if they don't, well, they're missing out. <laughs> I, uh, I've caught a lot of really good stuff. Um, you've read my books. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've had, I've had some crazy adventures and people still come to me and, and they ask me, you know, to come along and help them diagnose or attempt to diagnose whatever it is they're experiencing. And I always tell them the same thing. Anyway, I have no idea what you're experiencing. Again, I know enough to know that I don't know enough. Um, I'm just a guy that happened to find an extremely haunted location and and wrote a couple books about it. I'm really nobody special. Right. Uh, all those shifts I've been doing for probably 25 years now. And uh, we are, we are very fortunate and stuff we got along with too. Yeah, I've and, been doing uh, this since 1982. Well, I do got I thought, hmm, yeah, about 11 years. More I have. 
Yeah, it's been a long yeah. time uh, that I've been doing this. Um, I, I did it back when I, I would create my own white noise. You know, back in the day, there wasn't a lot of information out there on the paranormal. Um, you, I went to the library a lot to try to figure it out. <laughs> of course, if, if you read the story um, in too deep, you'll, you, you, I, I like to tell a lot about it. I let other people talk about it. But if you know about the story of how I got into the paranormal, um, I went and, and I studied up on it. I tried to figure out what this thing was all about. And over that time, uh, I learned a lot of techniques that at that time were probably cutting edge. Um, I, I first learned about EVPs. I, I had no idea what that was about. Um, I, heard, hmm. I read an article that that involved the Warrens. People, I had no idea who the Warrens <laughs> were. You know, I'm just I'm just this country kid from Iowa. I I didn't know any anything about that stuff. Okay. And they talked about EVPs and and how you could catch them on a recorder. And and I would use I used a Fisher Price tape recorder for crying out yeah. loud to do evps on uh and uh i also i i i kind of <laughs> I've, I've told people that i developed the first em meter emf meter and it wasn't even a meter it was uh my daughter had gotten a present in the mail from somebody and it was packed full of those little styrofoam um peanuts yeah and you know they just if if they spill out, you can't hardly pick them up. You can't get rid of them. They just cling all over your body. Mm-hmm. And I remembered reading an article talking about how these entities could be made of some kind of a DC or electrical charge. You know, it had energy attached to them. And I thought, huh, I want somebody's house or or place of business. And I finally had the opportunity to do an investigation um at a gentleman's house or a family's house that claimed they were seeing shadows moving up and down a hallway in in and and it was an older home and so i had these peanuts in a baggie and it wasn't like the ziploc baggies like you have nowadays it was the kind that folded over like a sandwich Mm -hmm. baggie you know we're talking back in the early 80s and uh i laid these peanuts out in this hallway like like rows of corn uh, probably 25 or 30 of them in, in straight rows. And I would take my Polaroid Instamatic camera and I would take photos of it every now and then. And then I would go back and I would talk with them, with my clients and we'd sit and we'd visit for a little bit. And I guess periodically I would check. And at one point when I checked, all of those peanuts were just like scattered everywhere. They were just wow. in disarray. And they had no cats. They had no dogs. Um, that hallway had no, you know, heat registers in it. There were no open windows. Um, it was a hallway that had no doorways in it. It went one direction and then made a left-hand turn. Um, so there was no way that anything, you know, that I that I seen from where my vantage point up was in, in this living room, did anything come down or go up that hallway, but something deserved those peanuts, disturbed them. Um, something with with some kind of a uh, static charge, and I've still used that technique today, and surprisingly, it still works. I wanted to have a lot something like that. <laughs> it, it really does. It works. You'd be surprised. That's, that's an awesome idea. You're right. Those damn peanuts are inflation. You get them. Oh God, they are pain. 
Yeah, you know, back in the day, we, you know, we just kind of had to kind of make up our own stuff as we went. You know, we didn't yeah. have all these these fancy K2 meters and millimeters. And, you know, I, I was even, you know, I used a compass, but mm-hmm. uh, it was hard to watch a compass from another room. You know, you did you really didn't know if it was if it was working or not. But I've I've honestly I've physically seen uh, a compass sitting on a coffee table that made one full rotation, uh, which was just mind blowing. Um, I've only seen it happen once, but but once is enough. Right. Oh, my. Yeah, I, I missed getting out. I. I'm kind of disabled now that I can get out much anymore, but I get out this twice a year to do stuff. Uh, I put that back up a little bit and um, about what happened in the 1980s, the tragic event. The the what event? The the, ter- the tragic event that you had in the 1980s that made you go into paranormal. Oh, the, the tragedy that happened. Yeah. Well, yeah, that was... Um, uh, well, what... Again, I've always said that, you know, I never believed in ghosts. I was, I was taught at a very early age. I used to be scared of the dark, believe it or not. You know, I mean, what kid isn't? You know, I was, right. I was scared of the dark. And... And when, when, you know, the best games, when you're a kid, when you grow up, are played in the dark. And mm-hmm. I was afraid to play the game with my cousins and friends in the dark because I was scared of it. I was scared of the dark. And one day, my grandmother, I remember vividly her telling me, she says, Alan, she says, close your eyes. And so I did. And uh, she says, what do you see? I said, I don't see anything. She says, okay. She says, what's to the left of you? And I, I think I described it was like a recliner. She says, what's to the right? And I said, it was a chair or a table. And she says, you're right. And she's open your eyes now. And I did. And, and those items were there. She says, see, she says, there's nothing in the dark that isn't in the light. It's the same thing. It's just dark. And that pretty much cured me of being afraid of the dark. I just said, you know, it's just dark. I mean, everything I already know is there. So that's how I went through my life. And, but it wasn't until uh, my uh, daughter's mother, Teresa, was killed in a fire, tragically. Um, oh, we, uh, sorry. We, we lived in a donated mobile home. Uh, Red Cross had set us up with beds and, and the things that we needed um, uh, just to function like a little family. And uh, about three months went by. Um, one evening, I'm watching TV. It was, I tell her, but it was WWF wrestling with Hulk Hogan on a black and white TV. <laughs> oh. This thing had rabbit ears on it. I mean, it was black and white. I'm really dating myself now, <laughs> but it was black and white TV. And I could hear Melinda talking in her room. And I just put it off as, you know, she's playing with her toys. She was really big into My Little Pony and the Smurfs and all that kind of stuff. And I just let it go. And it got to a point where I thought, you know, she's got to go to sleep. So I I got out of this chair, crappy chair, an old recliner, again, donated. 
Um, and I just kind of made my way down this little hallway and I peered around the door and I, I believe she'd be sitting there just playing. And instead what I spot, what I seen was she was sitting on the edge of her bed. Her feet were, they weren't even, they weren't even touching the floor. She was small enough that, you know, she could sit up by. I mean, she, she, I mean, she was, she wasn't a toddler anymore, but she was still small and her feet weren't touching the ground. She was in her pajamas and she was just staring at the closet. And I said, honey, I said, it's time to go to sleep, go to bed. And then I turned around and I left. I just, I just walked. I wanted to go back and watch TV. And I, you know, I did the dad thing and I made it about maybe three or four steps and I just paused. I stopped and I thought that, you know, that was weird. I turned back around and, and I, again, I, I peeked in there in, in the room and she's still sitting at the edge of her bed in the same way that she was before. And I said, honey, who are you talking to? You know, just out of curiosity, I thought, you know, she'd pop a smirk or something was going to come out of her mouth. You know, I didn't yeah. know. And she was looking at the closet and she turned towards me and she was still pointing at the closet. Just, just like, like this with her little chubby fingers. And she pointed, looked at me and with the most matter of fact voice just said, mommy. Wow. And she laid down at that point and went to sleep. And I can tell you this. If, if there was a way for me to remove my eyes from my head to investigate that closet, I would have. Um, I didn't see anything there. As much as I wanted to see what she was seeing, I did not. Um, and that's kind of where that whole paranormal quest began. I wanted to see what she seen, you know. And so I started studying this stuff. And, of course, by doing so, people started relating the fact that I was hunting ghosts. And they started asking me, hey, you know something about ghosts? I go, no, not really. Well, I know so-and-so that thinks they have a ghost in their house. Can you go check it out? And I thought, great, this is a great opportunity for me to pursue what I want to try to find. And I determined over like a period of six months of doing this that I was helping people. Um, I was by trade. I was a carpenter. Um, I did a lot of work in the mechanic in, in the uh, uh, construction field, and I kind of knew how houses and and how the environment would affect houses, and I could debunk a lot of stuff, and, and not being haunted at all. It was you know foundations that were that were moving due to the cold or the heat. Mm -hmm. Um, not enough roof vents, you know, things of that nature. And I realized that I was actually helping people in this little quest of mine. And suddenly this whole idea of looking for Teresa took a back seat to now what I was finding something good. And it was helping people with their problems in paranormal activity or potential paranormal activity. Wow. Yeah. Lots of times you have people call up and say, I, I think we're crazy. You're crazy, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And, I, and I hear that a lot. I, yeah, I, I do it too. And, and, you know, over the years, um, you learn to develop a, a vocabulary, so to speak. You know the people that are actually in need, and you know the people that just want to have somebody pay attention to them. Mm -hmm. And it all comes down to their vocabulary of how they present it to you as an investigator, how they explain the situation. And of course, I'm not going to say the vocabulary that I've learned to understand 
because then people will know how to get me interested in their in their paranormal problems, so to speak. But I've learned to kind of know it's not that I don't investigate those places, you know, that I feel that that are not. But I feel it's still my it's my responsibility to, to at least help them out. I don't want to call somebody right. a liar and say, no, I, you know, I, right. I'm picking up on some things that, you know, I think you're being untruthful. You know, I still go ahead and I, and I diligently try to figure out what's going on. But you know, at the same time, I'm pretty much aware that, you know, I'm either not going to find anything or they've already pretty much figured out what this noise or sound or commotion is on their own already. And they just want somebody to, uh, draw attention to them. You know, maybe they're just lonely in their life, you know, right. and that happens a lot in this field. People just, just get lonely. You know, yeah. they, they've lost a loved one and they right. really want to connect with that loved one again. And they really believe because the pop can suddenly tipped over on the, on the coffee table. That's mm -hmm. because it was their mom, their dad that were doing it when all actuality, it just, Sometimes pop cans just tip over on a, on a coffee table. It doesn't necessarily mean it's paranormal. Yeah, we, you always went to just serene insurance because at a lot of times you go and like you said, it'd be uh, like a natural noise from the house, you know, or um, like I, I stood for a couple of times on the show that we went to a place, they said they heard this like, like a whistle or his and we went, and they said it happened the third time of the night when they're in bed. And then what it was, I think up the attic it has that. You know, like the old um, heaters that were the, had the water going through them? Yep. Remember those? Well, was, it had a release on it, and it was doing it for a while. It'd make a whistle noise. Yeah. Uh, I can give you, <laughs> I can give you an ex a couple explanations. I've, I've heard whistle noises come from, uh, what they call the golf ball, uh, uh, wiffle balls. They get caught in a cold air return. Uh, <laughs> those little holes, believe me, they'll whistle and, and they make a really maniacal sound inside of a, inside of oh an air conditioning deck. <laughs> um, uh, one other case, uh, that I did. People were convinced that they had voices. They were hearing voices in their basement. They just moved into this house. And, of course, anybody that moves into an older house and it's new to them, every little noise is, is a little mm -hmm. bit unnerving. You know, they don't know what it is. Uh, eventually, on their own, they usually figure it out. But in this case, they could not. And that's when they notified me. And they told me about the, the voices in the basement. Um, I went, obviously, I, I took on the investigation, um, and, and we were sitting in just on the couch, you know, I didn't have any fancy cameras running or anything like that. And again, a Polaroid Instamatic camera, uh, that was about it. That's, you know, that's about all I had outside of that, you know, a little, you know, a cheap, uh, recorder, uh, tape recorder and real tapes recorder. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, Lo and behold, the, they had the, 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 the arrangement was that the living room that we were sitting in, there was a door that was kind of behind and to the left of us. And they left that door open and it went down into an unfinished basement. It was just basically just block walls and a washer and a dryer and a light 
And that was about it. I mean, it wasn't even a closed in staircase. It was just stairs, you know, open staircase walking, you know, going down into this, into this basement area. And, uh, by gosh, I could hear it. And I heard it at the same time they did. It sounded like voices were, were coming from the basement. And I naturally jumped up and, and cautiously went down these steps, um, to find nothing. Whatever was there was gone. It, it, no more sounds. Um, I sat there for several minutes talking into the basic, almost darkness. I mean, the door was open, so there was some light coming down. I mean, I wasn't like in the dark, dark. I left. I went back up, um, reviewed my tape recorder, kind of listened to it, see if I could hear anything. Nothing. I could hear myself breathing. That was about it. And probably 10 minutes later, maybe, uh, the same thing happened again. This time it was a little bit louder. And still not able to hear anything that resembled a word, but it was mumbling. It was loud, what I would refer to as mumbling. So I went back down the steps to find, again, nothing. It just gone. These voices had completely disappeared. So I made the decision that I was just going to sit there and see if I could figure out where these, these voices were coming from. There was a window that was down there, but it was a window that was basically was sealed shut. I mean, it was, it was all cocked and it was cocking around it and you, you couldn't open it or close it. And it, granted it was a single pane glass window uh, with several panes in it, but mm -hmm. That kind of sound just to me, somebody would have to be just literally standing outside of that window and talking to be able to hear it clear upstairs. Um, so I found a, it was it was like a little bucket, um, a little larger than a coffee can. And I turned it up upside down and I just sat there and I just sat on it. My knees were in my chest and I'm just sitting there just listening. And wouldn't you know it? I heard the voices and they were loud, but they weren't voices at all. It was mumbling. It was very loud mumbling and it was coming from another than the, it was coming from the, the, the P trap in the floor, the floor drain, uh, the house had stayed vacant long enough that the floor drain, the P trap had dried out. And so every time somebody in the neighborhood would flush a toilet, or a, a bathtub would drain, that water would go down their lateral and fall into the main. And that main would splash. Uh -huh. And that sound would emanate down the main and then make its way up the lateral into that dry pea trap and made that mumbling. It almost sounded like speech, but it was actually water that was splashing. And once I figured that out, I took that, that little bucket that I was sitting on and I put some water in it and poured it down the drain. And lo and behold, the ghosts are gone. Wow. So you really, you know, that's a big, you know, 95% of what we do is, is debunking. Or I, mm -hmm. I, no, I'll, I'll, I'll make that even larger, even broader. A hundred percent of what we should be doing is debunking. Mm -hmm. not, you know, not that we don't believe people. We should always believe. I believe that they believe they're experiencing something. My job is as an investigator is to figure out what that something is. 
And I will go to any lengths I can to disprove a ghost before I want to prove a ghost. I'm a little off. I'm a little odd that way. You know, I don't wear the black T-shirts and all that kind of stuff. I would much rather not find a ghost than find one because they're so hard to get rid of. And a lot of people don't want ghosts in their house well, unless they're going to turn it into some kind of an attraction or, or something. But and in that, most cases, people don't want stuff like that. <laughs> And that's your responsibility as an investigator going in. So, yeah. That was a great story. I could not, I don't know how you figured it out. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I've even been known to carry a, a four foot level with me uh, to investigations when people say, well, I got doors that are swinging open. Mm. Um, I bring a level. And I'll put it on the hinge side of a door and I'll take a picture of it where that bubble is in the, in that level. And during the investigation at night, um, if one of those doors would have tendency to swing open, I will put that level at this very same spot and I'll take a picture of it. And nine times out of 10, it's out of bubble. It, the bubbles is out of the lines where mm. it's moved. And I have found in my career anyway, the times that I get the most calls for paranormal phenomenon is um, the early onsets of winter when frost is entering the ground and in early spring when the frost is leaving the ground. And it's usually those two times a year that people have begun to move, either move in or move out of a new location. People don't move in the summer. It's not that they always want to move to a new house in the fall or early spring. You know, they don't want to do it in the winter. They don't want to do it in the hot of the summer. They kind of pick it. And, and, and that's just my own opinion, of course. But, you know, I've discovered that a lot of the paranormal phenomenon that I've encountered is due to the environment. All right. We, we used to take mar marbles or golf balls. And yeah. uh, what, they're, I don't know if you know what it's called, but it's called the funhouse effect. Yeah, it's yeah, and uh, we had that a couple times uh, a farmhouse we had. We put the golf ball there. Went. Mm. <laughs> yeah, um, I I'll use I'll use a hard surface ball. Um, a lot of people like to use just like the wall the balls you get at Walmart. You know, they're just round, red, blue balls are oh, about yeah. like, you know, yay big yeah. round. Mm -hmm. I don't use those. People like to use them. They put them in, you know, in the middle of a room and, and they wash to see if it rolls, right. you know, rolls around the room. And I don't do that. And I'll tell you why I don't do that. Because of barometric pressure. <laughs> it's, it's our worst enemy. Um, the air inside of that ball, those balls, for one, are not perfectly round. <clears throat> They got thin spots. They got thick spots in the rubber. Uh -huh. They're not. They're not uniform all the way through its its itself, I guess. And as the barometric pressure changes, temperature, um, so does the the shape or configuration of that ball. And sometimes that'll make it roll. And so by knowing that, and I do know that, I've never, I don't use balls anymore of, of size. I, I'd much rather use, like, say, a golf ball, for instance. For one thing, right. golf balls have divots in it. Mm -hmm. And so they're really hard to roll. Yeah. And if a golf ball rolls on a, on a, on a surface that's flat, you got right. something going on there. Yeah, that, that's how I used them. We used to go. 
Yeah, that was, that was uh, one of the things, especially like um, we did a few farmhouses, and a lot of them, you know, had that same problem. I'll say the room walked in, it's like, yeah, because yeah, and you'll get that funhouse house effect in older houses, and and a lot of that is you know due again to the foundations moving, especially mm-hmm. at night. Um, a good, for instance, of, of nighttime um, type paranormal phenomenon, I was called another house. They were convinced that somebody was in their attic walking around. Again, a new house, uh, a newer, not a new house, new to these, new to this, this, this group of people, this individual. And uh, they called me. Uh, they said, we heard you did ghost hunts and stuff. And I, yeah. And well, we're convinced there's somebody in, in our attic and we go up there and there's nobody there. You know, they've been trying to, you know, figure it out for months by themselves. And uh, I, I I agreed to come over. And lo and behold, I heard thump, 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 you know, and, and it's something, something was walking around in the attic or it sure didn't sound like it. And I went up there and nothing was there. So I went outside and I thought, well, maybe there's a tree or something that's, you know, overhanging the house. Mm-hmm. Well, walnut tree or something and walnuts are falling on the roof and making all kinds of noise. And, you know, I'm just trying to think of anything I can think of that we could be making noises, you know, right down to, you know, is, is there any openings for squirrels or raccoons? Hmm. And the house was tight and there was, there was no way that anything could have been, you know, up there outside of some kind of spiritual activity in my mind. I thought, wow, this, this could actually be something. And then it happened again. And it was a little different the way it sounded this time. It was kind of in a different area of, of what I could refer to as the attic area. And I went back up. I could find nothing. I went back outside again, took my flashlight, and I'm beaming it around on the roof. And then it hit me. It, it was just like, oh, Jesus, here it is. And uh, I went back inside, and I talked to the family. I said, uh, when did your activity start exactly? And they had already told me that they've been doing some remodeling on the house. And and in fact, they kind of been doing some own research and heard that if you remodel a house, that it can, it can stir up paranormal activity. Mm -hmm. And I said, so exactly when, you know, did you start experiencing this? And he said, well, it was shortly after, you know, we, we fixed, you know, some of the, the rafters and, and some of the soffit was bad on the house and, and the new gutters, we put a new roof on it. And I seen they had put a new roof on it. And I also seen when they did it, um, there wasn't a single roof vent in the house anywhere. Nowhere. Not one. Not even a ridge vent. And I t- explained to this gentleman, I said, I think I know what's going on here. I said, during the day, it's getting hot. And your house is blowing up like a balloon. I mean, that you're, it's just, the heat is, is expanding and expanding. And then at night, as it cools off, we're getting these little breezes and these, these, these pockets of cold thermal air that kind of blows across your roof. It's acting like a diaphragm and it's pushing and anything below it. It's, it's, it's kind of that, you know, that rule, you know, uh, for every action is opposite vehicle reaction. And it was causing the, the rafters to, to twist and contort. And it was making a thumping sound like somebody was walking down their attic. So um, he went ahead and he put a ridge cap in, or yeah, a ridge vent in within like a couple of weeks. 
And the moral of that story is uh, the, the, the footsteps stopped in the attic. Boy, that advice turns to got a good head on shoulders. I mean, like, I guess I helped what you said with construction, but, ah. It just, you know, you've really just got to take a step back and look at things. Um, but there again, there are things that I, I still to this day can't explain. Um, I've, I've been in Edinburgh Manor, for instance, and that's a large building. There is a lot of stuff moving around in that building at night that I can't explain. Uh, I had set uh, a vibration sensor and this sensor, it, it's, it, it's basically designed to be an alarm system. You put it on like a metal door. So if somebody would shake the doorknob or try to get in, it would go off. It has a magnet in it and it goes off. But it's not so sensitive that if a windstorm or some blowing leaves or whatever tap on the door, it won't go off. Otherwise, it'd make for a pretty unrestful night. <laughs> so I was using this vibration sensor at Edinburgh Manor. And I one of my, it was back when I did have an investigating team, one of them smoked. And I asked for one of them to have a cigarette and I laid it on this vibration sensor in what would be kind of the, the cafeteria area down in the basement. I knew from past experiences from talking to other people that were in the medical field that people that of that era, when they were under psychological psychiatric care, um, got fed a lot of drugs like Thorazine and things like that. And if they smoked, they just smoked like trains. I mean, it was just an over just just smoke constantly. And so I took the cigarette and I put it on that vibration sensor and we all stepped back probably six steps from this round table and we're standing there. And this is at one point when I had, uh, I had a Sony handy cam, one of the, one of the gals, one of my investigators was using that, but I also had two of like what you have security cameras or DVR cameras set up that were seeing this table from two different angles. And they could see that all of us were away from this table. And suddenly that vibration sensor went off. Something had to physically bump it. And the cigarette went rolling off and it fell off the table. And it was, it was all very impressive. And I tried to debunk it several times thereafter and I could not. So uh, just because you have a background in what you think you know, about debunking things doesn't always mean you're going to find the answer. <laughs> and, and that, and that's a fact. Uh, I had some things at the stagecoach in that happened that I could not explain. I, I actually captured a spinning wheel turning. I don't know if you've ever seen that video or not. If you go to the dark river page um, and you scroll through all those videos, there's countless, countless videos of me investigating Edinburgh Manor, uh, Villisca, just different places. But that one video is probably the pinnacle moment of my career when I captured a spinning wheel in the stagecoach and just, just begin just, just turning by itself. It just, I, I, to this day, I can't figure it out. So do you ever think about going back? I know you said maybe not, but the air crossed her mind. Would I ever go back? <laughs> yeah. No, no, I, I, I would never, ever, ever go back to the stagecoach in. Um, I, I take that back. I, I told people for since I, I came back 
in what was it 2016 hmm. yeah 2017, 2017 when i came when i came yeah. back and uh that i would never go back there again and here recently um it was for memorial day memorial day weekend my wife wanted to go and put flowers on her father's grave he was a world war ii veteran and so we went up there and uh i brought a book with me and i thought you know what i'm gonna go back to the inn and i'm gonna take a picture of me and the book in the inn all together the story is going to meet its conception place uh, that'd be really cool It'd be a really cool picture and uh i took it and i left just got the hell out of there i didn't stick around i didn't try to investigate i didn't poke fun at it i didn't even really look at the damn place i just arrived and i left that brings us to date of a place that i'm going to be doing a paracon at and it's going to be at the ymca in, in rock island illinois oh. and the uh the person who is, is putting that together, her name is, is Candy um, Slater. And she asked me, she said, Alan, would you like to participate in this event and you could sell some of your books? And I thought, well, yeah, you know, I could do that, you know. And she says, have you got anything that maybe you could donate, maybe donate one of your books for a raffle so we can raise money for this location? I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I do. I have a really cool one. And I, and I said, it's been at the Stagecoach Inn. Um, it's even been signed. I signed it while I was there that this is the only book that has ever been to the stagecoach in. And maybe, you know, somebody would like to have that, you know, you know, there are people out there that love stuff like that. Uh -huh. And she said, that'd be fantastic. I would love it. So I was going to donate it. And it must've been three weeks later. She calls me. And she says, Alan, is there any way you could send me those books? Because I was going to I was going to send her two. I was going to send her in conflict and I was going to send her in too deep and be used as raffles. And the in too deep was going to be was a signed version. And I said, yeah, I can do that. I'll send them to you right now. And as I'm talking to her on the phone, I look inside the book and it's not signed. And my heart just sunk. Um about a week earlier, a lady had called me and asked me if I could, if she could get a signed copy from me, a signed book. And of course, I have the square. You know, I can I can take payments by with the square over the phone. Mm -hmm. And she said, you know, can you send me a book? And I said, well, sure. And she said, can you sign it? And I said, well, yeah, I can sign it for you. And I, you know, and personalize it. And so I did. And I said, it'll be a couple of days. I said, you know, before I can send it to you, you know, it'll be after I get off work. A couple of days went by, came home, grabbed the book, put it in a box, went to my nearest Hy-Vee farm or Hy-Vee post office. And I mailed it off. And I thought that I mailed the wrong book. I thought, oh, my oh. God, I can't find it. I mailed it to another person. That person has that signed copy. Uh, and so I called, I called Candy and I said, I can't give you that same book. I said, I'm so sorry. And she was like, Oh my God, she's I've already, I've already publicized that this book is going to be at the raffle. And I said, I'll fix this. 
I'll figure out a way to fix this. And my intention was to go back to the stagecoach in. I was going to drive clear up to Ida Grove, Iowa. It was like a two and a half hour drive from my house with just one single copy of this book. I was going to take a, a selfie of myself with it, one, and then zoom back. That's how I was going to fix this. And so the following day, Candy calls me and she says, hey, she says, uh, I just called uh, the Historical Society in Ida Grove and arranged a tour to get, you know, a hands-on type tour of the inn. And we're going to be there on Saturday. Would you like to join us? And that way you can, we can, you know, you can just sign the book there and then you can just give it to me. And I said, yeah, you know, I, I can do that. So I showed up. Uh, I met them there. They were already inside. They had, they'd went inside the inn. One of the members of the historical society was already giving them a tour. And so I stood outside. I would not go in. I, 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 I would not do it. There was no way. And I stood there a little longer and a little longer. And I thought, well, I need to go inside. Let them know I'm here. And so I walked inside and immediately I just, it just, it was just overwhelming feeling of dread, I guess is the best way to put it. And I did find candy and her husband, Derek. And they said, did you bring the book? And I said, yeah, it's right here. They said, go in and get your other books. You got any other books here? And I said, yeah, I do. As a matter of fact, I have a whole bunch in my truck. I had this book. I had uh, uh, the Ghost and Legends book, which is out of publication. And I had a copy of In Too Deep. I had all my books there. And I had three books. I, and I walked through the end with them. And I gave all those books to Candy, except one, and it's this one here, the original book of In Too Deep, or uh, Ghosts and Legends, and then left. The, now, this is where the story gets interesting. Um, when I came home later that afternoon, um, I came and sat down here at my computer, which I'm sitting here with my computer right now. I was going to do some work, and, and I, I do a lot of writing. And I just happened to look down here next to my, my desk, and here's a copy, a hardback copy of In Too Deep sitting there. It, and I picked it up, and lo and behold, it was the original book. Wow. And <laughs> it, in my mind, it had lured me back there one more time. Um, this place, it definitely has a hold on me. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to leave it with saying this. You decide. Just like I, I in my books, you decide. Yeah. I don't force this down anybody's throat is saying you've got to believe this this is true i would never do that but that book that original book that i was originally going to give to to candy was here all the time i never seen it it was it was here but that place had found a way in my mind to lure me back and that's the kind of hellish hold that it has on me so the historical society should let people investigate I'm sorry? The uh, historical society, they see a lot of people investigate? The historical society, um, they don't allow tours there anymore. Mm -hmm. um, 
which is it's a good thing. In fact, I encourage that to happen. I, you know, mm -hmm. nobody needs to investigate this place. Um, it can be it can be visited as a historic landmark as it should be, but it's it should never ever ever be investigated. Uh, I've had people say, "Hey, Alan, you know, can I go investigate there? And would you come with me?" Because I'm really the only way anybody can get ever get in there again. If I could, you know, and even then, I don't know if I could. I don't know if the historical society would let me, even though I'm a member of the historical society. Um, and I became a member just so I could investigate it. But uh, in all honesty, I have a conscience. And to me, it'd be like handing somebody the keys to a car that has no brakes. I, I just, I couldn't do that. I just couldn't let anybody in there. And you said you read the book In Conflict. Mm -hmm. um, you would understand that conflict that I was having personally with myself, as well as the paranormal in general and in the paranormal community and, and everything attached to it before I finally made that full circle and making my last trip to the stagecoach in to do that one last investigation that went horribly, horribly sideways. There was, there were some things that happened to me that night that I cannot, I, I tried my best to explain it in the book um it's horrifying uh i've had a, another individual that read the book and while they were reading the book they said things were going on in their house and and they said they don't uh they're not they don't overreact they don't overact on anything you know but things were happening in their house as they were reading the book and i remember as i wrote the book I had made mention to it that, you know, all of my emotions of that place, if I refer to it, you know, everything that's impacted into my mind is being translated through my fingers onto the keyboard, onto the paper, and then into the book, and will probably find its way into your home. And if you're sensitive enough, it may play a role in activity in your own environment. And this person was actually having things that were going on in their home while reading the book in conflict. And and that really messed with your personal life too. And oh, yeah. You know, I mean, uh, when I was investigating uh, there, when I was in Ida Grove, uh, one day we had uh, we, were, we were sitting on the on the, on the on the balcony or not the balcony, the porch, front porch, and me and Pam were sitting there drinking some iced tea or something. It was kind of a hot day, and just out of nowhere. Uh, the church pastor shows up and I immediately got kind of angry. I don't know why I did, but I did. I, I thought, what's, you know, why is he showing up here? You know, I mean, there's no need for him to be here. And he sat down. Of course, Pam was very excited. Um, her whole family is very devout in, in, in God. And as well as I, I am too. I mean, I'm not, but it, for some reason at that time, I, I was really getting kind of dark and, uh, he showed up. She's very excited, have a nice conversation. And, uh, he looked at me and he said, Hey, Alan, he said, I understand that, uh, you're out there at stagecoach in looking for ghosts. And I said, as a matter of fact, that's what I am. I'm, that's what I'm doing. I'm researching it. And he said, Oh, he says, uh, are you searching for God? And I remember vividly telling him I didn't know God was missing. And I felt rage. 
I, oh, man. I felt like I, I could, I, I literally stood up. I was going to throw him off of the porch wow. and I had it, but I, I restrained myself to the point I was seeing stars. I was so angry and I went into the house and, uh, excuse me. All right. Hang on. There, fix that. Uh, I went into the house and Pam followed in behind and she uh, asked me, she said, what in the hell are you doing? And I remember there was tears in my eyes. Um, and I told her, I, said, I have no idea. I said, I don't know why I reacted like that. But to, um, after speaking with a lot of people that are involved with the church, the Catholic Church, uh, a gentleman that I've talked with a lot, his name is Father Ruben Lopez. Um, he's been on haunted hospitals and other programs like that. Um, he said that I was probably partially there was there was some kind of uh, oppression going on with me due to the evil that is related to the Stagecoach Inn. You got to understand, back in the early seventies, the Stagecoach Inn there there were satanic worshippers that were out there. Mm-hmm. They were putting pentagrams on the floor and they were they were sacrificing animals inside of that building. Uh, it's on Native American burial ground. Um, it, there was a gentleman by the name of John Moore that was a farmer out there after the stagecoach in had basically went away. The Moorheads had rented out the house now from being an end to a farm. And this gentleman was was farming the land with livestock and he was a member of the Odd Fellows. And they were having meetings out there at the inn. Um, he eventually committed suicide on the property. Uh, so, you know, there are just a lot of things that they're attached to that place. It just layer. I, I hate to use the word paranormal onion, but that's what this place is. And it, it it's it's not a it's not a good place to be. All right. Well, yeah, like I said, uh, I, I could. Reading the books, I, I can see all the emotions you went through. And, um, there was a lot and, of emotion I went through. Um, yeah. There was a lot of finding myself again. Uh, if you read in, in the book In Conflict, it was. It was a personal conflict for me. Just It wasn't about the end. The end was the catalyst to the conflict. But the conflict was about me and everything, again, related to the paranormal, people that I was associated with. Um, my own, my own beliefs and disbeliefs in religion and in God. And, uh, it was, it was, it was pretty vicious. Uh, when I started reading or writing the book, I didn't think, you know, I thought, how am I going to write about this final investigation of the stagecoach in, you know, how am I going to write that? You know, it was one night, um, about eight hours of investigating time. How am I going to make that into a book? And I got to thinking, you know, I'm going to tell the story of going back there. You know, everything that was involved in going back there. And I, I think, personally, I think it turned out to be a, a, a really well-written story. I don't know, you read it, you tell me. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. 
I, yeah. I've never, I so far, I haven't got a lot of feedback on it. <laughs> well, you're still familiar, so both, both the buffs. Yeah, so. Yeah, but I can get one info. So I'd say that maybe, um, is there a place that, like, do you have a site? Yeah. Do you sell um, them? Yeah. Because, uh, can you autograph them too? You, you can go to darkriverpublications.com. That's my website. Um, that's where you can find both my books, um, both in Too Deep and in Conflict. Hmm. Um, there's a short bio about me. And there are some little back backstories on on the books in there. Um, at some point, maybe I might have these books for sale on there. I've got like ten of these left oh, of wow. the original book. That's it. There's ten, and all ten of them have been at the Stagecoach Inn. Um, oh, they wow. will be going. They will be going with me to uh, the Paracon in. Uh, uh rock island illinois october 7th um so they'll be there they may they may be sold at that time i don't know um but like this one here i don't know if you can read it from there uh there this one has been written in uh you can see it right mm -hmm. here it has, it has been written in and it says this is one of three books they returned to the stagecoach in, and I got it. I got it signed. The other two books is uh, in too deep and in conflict, and those are the ones that uh, I donated to uh, uh, Candy um, for this uh, the YMCA. Oh, okay. Well, uh, so the uh, I think better for them to get through you because with Amazon they charge. Whatever. And then with you, they just Venmo you, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, people yeah. can, people can, uh, they can either buy the book um, on, on uh, Amazon. And that's basically the, the, the website is just another link to the Amazon site. Oh, that, yeah. All yeah. Right. It just, you can just, you can, you can click the link in the website and it'll take you directly to the Amazon site where the books are at mm -hmm. and you can, you can purchase it there or um, you can either message me on dark river uh, page um, and say, Hey Alan, I'd, I'd, I'd love to have a book and I'd make arrangements uh, to make payment and then I would send it out to you and, because obviously the ones you get on Amazon aren't signed, right. and a lot of people they like signed books. Right. Uh, I I have several that are with me right now, um, and I can almost be rest assured that they will all be sold out uh, at this next event. Every time I do an event of any kind, and I I pretty much sell out right away. I think I've got uh, I think I've got thirty of each on hand right now, and I'm kind of holding on to those at this moment. Um, but they will, once those are gone, they're gone. And all those books again, uh, and Candy Slater can validate this. All those books have been to the stagecoach Inn. they were, uh, a, I did a, an investigation, oh, a couple weeks ahead of time. And I, and that investigation was down in a little town called, uh, uh, Morristown, Tennessee. Um, the people were doing a renovation on a house down there. And they were having a lot of paranormal activity. And uh, I agreed to go down and investigate it. 
And I also found out at the same time there was a Paracon going on down there in that very same town. So I, I took all these books with me and with, with the full intention of, of, of selling at the Paracon. Well, then the Paracon fell apart at the last minute. It just, it just didn't work out. So these books were in my, my uh, Explorer, and they've been in my Explorer, you know, since I, I came back home. And then, of course, it came around when Candy asked me to come up to the Stagecoach Inn with her to sign, you know, one of the books again, that all those books were there. So the all those books were still in the in my Explorer. They've all been, and I've got them all here, uh, they've all been to the Stagecoach Inn, and those are the only ones that will ever be there, ever. I'll never <laughs> I'll never go back just to take a book up there. Just to say, see, here's here's another book. You can you can buy this. Oh. Stage coach in. So right. once those books are gone, they are gone forever. That's great. Wow. Okay. Hey, we're. Do you have? Uh... Anything above side paragraph on not the dry air plant? Maybe to write another book? You say you don't do a lot of writing, so. I, I do have plans to write another book. Um, I'm keeping a lot of that kind of close to the breast, I guess. Yeah, I um, understand. Yeah. But, uh, you know, this, this thing we call the paranormal, um, it, it's a scary place. It can be. It can be a very dark place. But there also, I think the scarier aspect are the people related and investigating the paranormal. It can be a very narcissistic world. As I said in my book, a narcissistic cesspool of self-gratification. And the paranormal can be like that. And that's kind of where my next book is. Uh, Doing a lot of interviews, talking to a lot of people and in their own experiences of being basically having that scarlet letter placed upon their chest because they want to walk to the beat of a different drummer. They want to walk off that path that we've all kind of decided is, is the only way to do things. And uh, I've never been one to follow rules. Never have. And so I kind of abide by my own rules. I've I've rubbed some people the wrong way, but, you know, uh, I'll tell you like I tell everybody else. I'm 63 years old. I don't give a damn. (laughs) I'm going to write it and I'm going to write it well. Uh, There will be there will be names. There will be places. There will be things. (laughs) And uh, everything that I have is backed up with with facts. Otherwise, you go into litigation, and I don't want that. <laughs> so, right. so it's it's going to be it's going to be it's not going to be a book that's going to be written overnight. It's it's going to be you know year two years down the road because I want to make sure again that all my eyes are dotted and t's are crossed. Yeah, yeah. So that's where it means I started a podcast. I like to hear about people's experiences. I'm I'm sorry I'm sorry you broke up again and I had a hard time hearing you. That's why I started a podcast. Yeah, let's get hear people's stories. Yeah. yeah, it's important that you share those stories. Um, we all, you know, we've all experienced our own bits of narcissism in oh. this field. Um, it's just going to happen. 
all of us at some point are going to, I hope, well, I, I shouldn't say all of us. I hope none of us do actually outside of me will experience their own stagecoach in. They're out there. Those places right. are there. Um, what scares me and what terrifies me and what is my hell may not necessarily be somebody else's hell. But if you ever experience it, um, you won't want to go back. Um, I'm, I'm a person that I don't like to investigate places I got to pay to go to. Mm. Um, you know, you can go all over the country and you can pay to go this, this to this prison or to yeah. that, that asylum, whatever the case might be. I don't do that. Now, if somebody wants to ask me to come and investigate it and validate it, I'd be happy to. But I experienced the paranormal and went through hell, and it didn't cost me a dime. So why would I want to pay somebody to experience something that I experienced for seven years? And so that's where I'm at. Uh, I don't I don't pay to, to do locations. Mm -hmm. um, I've experienced paranormal. I've experienced the horror of it. I've experienced the heartache. I've experienced, you know, just almost being divorced over what I do. And I don't need to experience that again. I ain't going to pay somebody to go in and, and go through that hell all over again. If they say it's haunted, guess what? That's good enough for me. I don't need to know that it's haunted. I don't need, I don't need validating to myself that somebody says it's haunted. Now, if somebody says to me, Alan, I want to know if this place is haunted, you know, sure, gladly, I'll come in and I'll investigate, you know, and I'll tell you yes or no. There's no gray areas with me. It either it is or it isn't. Um, and in most cases, in my own beliefs, especially talking with Father Ruben Lopez, who is an exorcist, by the way, has been for 40 years, um, in the long talks that I've had with him, you know, these things aren't ghosts. These are, these are malevolent entities that that like to inhabit the loved ones we believe are still with us you know it's it's their way of turning you away from the light you know if, if if one of these demonic entities can convince you that it's it's your it's your grandma betty baking cookies for you that's fantastic they'll do that they'll imitate her they'll you know they'll do whatever it takes to slide into her shoes to convince you that it's her that's inhabiting the location when all actuality it's probably something dark you know as is as, as, as the father explained to me you know there's a huge chasm in between heaven and hell and no soul no living being can cross that chasm either way once you've been cast across it either to heaven or hell you can't come back there's no way you can come back. The only way you can come back is if you were never human in the first place. And things that are not human in, in the first place is a demonic entity. And so even if it's just a mild haunting, just a little ghost, just something that's just annoying, it's in my opinion, in my opinion only, you get a priest in there and you exercise its ass back to hell because that's where it belongs. Uh, oh, been an absolute pleasure having you on tonight. Hey, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, maybe uh, down the road, uh, like say a year or two, and you get another book, I'll head back on. Or sooner, if you want to tell more stories, that's fine me. I, I so. have a lot of stories. Believe <laughs> me, I, I, could, I, I could fill your day up with stories. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, and I would like to say something real quick, a little a quick uh, shout out, sure. if I could. Um, mm -hmm. October 7th, 
uh, Rock Island, Illinois, at the Haunted YMCA. There's the Paracon going on. It's going to be an amazing event. Uh, a lot of people's going to be there. Aaron Thompson from 28 Days Haunted is going to be there. As well as, <laughs> as well as a lot of other well-known investigators. Um, it's going to be a great event. I believe there's over 70 vendors that are going to be there in this very, very extremely haunted location. I've investigated it four times, two times by myself, completely alone. Um, I have no skin in the game over there. I, you know, I'm not making anything from that place. But if you really want to experience a true paranormal location, the Haunted YMCA in Rock Island, Illinois is the place to be. And I will be there October 7th. I will have all my books. And there will be a lot of other vendors there that will tell you stories and give you information. And it's just going to be an all-out cool event. That's telling Well, not too far to me, But I wish I would be there. It's not, it's not a lot of fun. So. It's it's inexpensive. Uh, people off the street, it's five dollars to get in. Wow. Yeah. That, really, that, really that inexpensive. Is awesome. Yeah, really, I like really the new at. That's the off the old Tokyo because they're like thirty dollars to go. And wow, that's a, that's a great price. Yeah, the price is right. It really is, and we got and there's a lot of good talent there. A ton of talent. You can go to the Haunted YMCA Facebook page. And you'll get more information there. Okay, I'll go ahead and I'll post that out too, along with all your contact info in the comments that after the show. So sounds good. Well, thanks again for coming on night. I mean, it was great. I had a great time, and uh, your store is awesome. So people get the books. I'm telling you, you won't regret it. It's awesome. So I I, I enjoy it so much. I've read both in two days. So that's incredible <laughs> to itself. It, that in itself is paranormal. That's a lot of reading. Yeah, it is. But yeah, I I hear um not much during day, so I get a lot of stuff done. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Oh, I definitely did. Well, folks, until next time, happy haunting, everyone. Good night. <laughs>